Well, good morning, Oakwood. Pastor Eric is not well today, so say a prayer for him today, and he's on some medicine. Hopefully, he's on, on the mend. But God, I was reminded, I, I made a statement that sometimes God knows what he's doing, and then I was corrected, no, God always knows what he's doing, okay? Rusty uh, used the last part of Ephesians chapter 2 and his call to worship, um, verses 11 through the end of that. I'm going to use the first part of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, for my message. We did not coordinate that. God just knew somebody needed to hear from Ephesians chapter 2 today. Maybe all of you need to hear from Ephesians chapter 2 today. So if you have your bulletin, the series that was supposed to start today will actually start next week. Don't give up. So want to just kind of whet your appetite for that. Don't give up. Today we're going to talk about what God wants to do with you. What God wants to do with you. Normally when I go through premarital counseling with couples as they're preparing for marriage, I ask them some questions. You know, how did you get acquainted? How did you begin dating? Things like that. When did things first get serious? What do you like best? What, you know, one of the tough questions I often ask is what does your fiance do that absolutely drives you nuts that you just, you can't stand? Almost always, now there's always exceptions to this rule, but almost always the bride-to-be will come up with something that she can't stand about her fiancé, but then say, but we're going to change that. <laughs> okay? They're not going to act that way or, or, or have that habit or do that for, forever. We're going to change that. Almost always, guys, when they're asked, what would you change about you? They don't want their brides to change at all. In fact, they would love for their bride to go their entire married life exactly like they were and never change them. But I'm going to tell you this morning what God wants to do with you. And I'm going to cut to the chase, okay? And I'm going to give it to you right from the start. God wants to change you inside and out, through and through. He wants to change you into what He wants you to be. Philippians 1 says, chapter 1, verse 6 says, He who began a work in you will carry it through to completion. Okay? So God is going to complete the work that he starts in you. So he's not going to start something and then leave it undone. But it has to be on his timeline, on his time schedule. I'm not a, a patient person. You may see me and think, you know, that Alan, he is such a laid-back, easy-going, patient person. Let me tell you, I can put on a pretty good front. I like things on my timeline, on my time schedule. I went, got a flat tire, got a, a screw or nail or something in a tire yesterday. You could see it. And so I aired up the tire, went to the uh, tire shop yesterday afternoon and said, hey, do you, uh, could I get this tire fixed? Did you make an appointment? And I kind of sarcastically said, I, I didn't wake up this morning realizing that I was going to have a flat tire, so no, I didn't make an appointment, but I need to get the tire fixed. Okay, we'll try to get you in. 
So it was about a two-hour wait, which was maybe a good thing because it gave me some time to actually work on the, this message. But I want things on my timeline. We're going to see how this passage teaches us not only how to be saved, but how God is at work in our life. There's a real popular verse out of this passage that's used a lot for evangelism messages. For grace you have been saved through faith. We're going to see how this passage teaches today not only how to be saved, but how God wants to change us from the inside out into make us into what he wants us to be. And I believe there are three ways that God will begin this process of change that he wants to work in our life. So uh, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you've opened them up to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to begin reading uh, with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Okay, do you get that? In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of this kingdom of the air and the spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. The first thing I see from this passage of Scripture that God wants to begin doing is He wants us to forget about the past. He wants to, to forget about the past. Now, Paul talks about this life that he assumes was history. He's writing to the Ephesian people here, and he said, that's the life that you used to live. That was the past. But what about you today? Are you still living in the past or are you living in the future? The new creation that God has intended you to be. Now, everyone here falls into one of three categories. One, that you've either accepted Christ and you have successfully left that old way of life behind and you're the new creation. Or category number two, that you have accepted Christ, he saved you, but you have still hung on to the old way of life and still struggle with that sinful old self. Third category is that you have not accepted Christ yet and you begin to, or, or, you have not yet begin to see that transformation in your life yet and you haven't actually given your life to Christ. So if you're in group number one that you've accepted Christ and fully successfully left the old way of life behind, congratulations, and you guys can kind of coast through this first point, okay? But if you're in groups two or three, which might make up the majority of the people, then you can still pay attention to this. You need to realize that it doesn't have to be that way. God does not want you to be a prisoner of the past. He wants to set you free to begin a process of transformation to make you what he wants you to be in his timeline, not your timeline, but what he wants you to be when he wants you to be it. And it begins with your desire and your decision to follow Christ. When you ask Jesus, come into my life and change me. Make me a new person. 
Create in me a new heart. Give me the power to overcome sin and to bury the past forever. But there's a problem because Satan does not want us to forget the past. He wants to remind you of your past failures. And let me tell you, we all have past failures, and Satan will constantly remind you that you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you'll never measure up, you failed before, you'll fail again, and he wants to keep you living in the past. He doesn't want you to become the new creation that God intends you to be. And for many Christians, Satan is successful in keeping you living in the past, reminding you of what you used to be. But the first day that we have in in breaking away from the past is that we have to, to bury the past. There are three key words here that I see in this passage in those first three verses that are really the foundation of the old way of life. He says, the cravings, desires, and thoughts. Now, cravings are what we have. Maybe we have a craving for something to eat. Desires are something that begins within our mind and our thoughts. That's where the battle begins. And we have to take captive those thoughts. And maybe that craving is a temptation or a desire to explode in anger at your spouse or your children or your coworkers or your friends. Maybe that craving is to drown your sorrows in something to drink or some other substance. Or maybe that craving or desire is to indulge yourself sexually and to just satisfy your your cravings that way. The lure of the old way of life is amazing. And not all those cravings necessarily start out as bad things. Maybe it's a, a craving and desire to get online and spend too much on Amazon or online shopping, but they begin with those desires. But the result's always the same. It brings cravings and it puts us in the past. It keeps us as a captive to, to, as a slave to sin. There are dozens of ways that the old way of life just holds us captive. So how do you get rid of it? How do you bury the past in the past? I wish it was just that easy. We'd just say, well, it's over, it's done. You know, often when we do something wrong and it kind of comes to light, well, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to bring it up anymore. Well, wouldn't it be that wonderful if we could just do that with sin that it was just like it's done it's out of my I don't even want to talk about it I don't want to think about it anymore but the first step that we have to to take here is apostle Paul told us it begins with our thoughts our cravings are born out of desires and our desires are born out of thoughts so in order to change your life and to change the way you handle and deal with these things, you have to change the way you think. 
my youth minister in high school, and I remember this. I don't remember a lot of the things he taught us, but I remember he coined a phrase, or maybe he stole it somewhere, stinking thinking. Anybody here guilty of some stinking thinking? Bad attitudes, bad thoughts. And it keeps us from burying the past. So in order to change, we have to change what we think about when you do your thinking. Does that even make sense to you? You have to change what you think about when you do your thinking. When you're thinking about things, you've got to change it. So instead of dwelling on the problem and thinking about that, start thinking about the solution. Instead of thinking about something negative or dreadful, start thinking about things of God, things that are positive. Instead of dwelling on something, well, that, that puts me over the edge when that happens. Well, start thinking about the things that Scripture teaches you. Change your thoughts. Think about something else. So if you want to bury the past, you have to do something that is hard to do as Christians. That means we have to kill. We have to kill something. We have to kill those thoughts, that pattern, that old way of life. We have to kill it first. So when you change what you think about, you're going to change your desires and cravings And guess what? You change your destiny. That's why Paul said in in Romans 12 too, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you realize that this battle to change who you are begins in the mind? Begins up here. And the world is trying to change up here for us. Trying to change what we think, how we think about things. Second thing is... God wants to come alive spiritually. So being a Christian is more than than just a matter of turning over a new leaf. It's a matter of a new life. So it isn't just we turn the page. It's actually an entirely new life. So the old way should be gone. It's like living death, okay? So Every sin, regardless of whatever sin it is, is basically all about self-gratification. It's all about pleasing yourself. Those sinful, craving desires, that's what sin is. It's all about pleasing yourself. That's the old way of life. God wants to change you and make you into a new creation. You get that? He wants to make you something new. Like those brides say, well, we're going to change that. God wants to change you. He wants you to become alive spiritually. He wants you to become something that you can't even imagine. You hear sometimes people will use this term, well, they're a spiritual person. They're a godly person. That's what God wants from you. You understand that? He wants you to become a godly person. He wants you to become alive spiritually. Let's uh, keep reading in our text in Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. 
It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that the coming ages he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God wants to infuse your life and make it better than you can even imagine, more meaningful than you ever thought it could be. Paul said uh, in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So whether you've been a believer for three days, three hours, 30 years, or 50 years, listen closely. A life-changing principle is this. God wants you to become alive spiritually. So how do we get this eternal life and become alive spiritually? Most of us have got this misconception that we have to do all these good deeds. I've met so many believers that when they come to the end of their life, they think, well, I just hope I've done enough. I hope the good that I've done on the scales of life have outweighed the bad. So I hope I've, I, I hope I've done enough. And that's a sad time for people to learn that no, you haven't done enough. You can't do enough. You'll never do enough. You'll never do enough good to outweigh the scales of sin in your life. You can't do it. Many of you may have grown up in a home or a church that that was your, your understanding. And if that was your understanding, uh, you've got a, a, a great misconception about how God's grace works. How much, how many, how much, how much, or many good works is it going to take for you to receive salvation and eternal life? Like a hundred or a thousand? Zero. What about faith? What if I just have more faith? Is that going to be enough? Scripture says it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's by faith that saves you, but it's grace from God. So my life as a Christian isn't a, a result of the incredible amount of good deeds that I've done or will do in my lifetime or by the incredible amount of faith that I have, it's by grace. And listen to this. God wants to change you inside and out. But in order for, you to do, for him to do that, you have to let go this idea that you can accomplish it on your own. Because you can't. He wants you to come alive spiritually. He wants you to become a godly, righteous person. That's why uh, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We like new things, don't we? New cars, new houses, new furniture, new clothes. Wouldn't it be great to live in newness all the time? That's what we've been called to do. 
to live in that newness. God wants us to come alive spiritually. Third principle I see here is that God wants to custom design your future. He wants to custom design your future. Verse 8 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by work so that you can boast. This is the verse I want you to, to remember right here. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God wants your life to be an example of the goodness of God. He wants your life to reflect what he can do in someone's life. You see, he has custom designed a future for you. He has some things that he wants you to do that only you can do. And he decided to start doing this while you were still in the womb. He decided, I've got a plan for you. And I've got something for you to accomplish. That only you can do. He wants to do this not so that you look good, but that your life is a reflection of the goodness and the greatness of God. He wants to show you off. He wants your life to be such an image of him that it points people to him. I have a friend that uh, is an artist and does paintings and things. And at any point in time in his life, he'll probably have a hundred paintings in his, in his house, and his shop. But when he goes to an art show, he'll only take 10 or 15. And the 10 or 15 he takes are what he considers the best, his masterpiece. Because he wants to show them off. He wants people to see his best work. That's what God wants to do for you. He wants to show you off so that people see his goodness through your life. People are all excited here in Oklahoma, if you're an Oklahoma Sooner fan, about this guy coming out of Texas, uh, Jackson Arnold is his name. He's a five-star quarterback recruit, one of the top quarterbacks, if not the top quarterback in the, the class coming up, and OU signed him, and he came to campus early. And I looked at his and watched his highlight film. The guy's pretty good, but in every one of those plays on that highlight film, he either threw a touchdown pass, a long pass, he scrambled for a long run, he avoided a tackler, he did something absolutely incredible. Nowhere on that highlight film did I see him take a sack, did he fumble, did he throw an interception, throw an incompletion, make a, a, a bad play. It was only the best. I want you to understand something. God wants your life to reflect the best of Him so that your life points people to Him and His greatness. God wants people to see what you're capable of doing. Not so that you can show off, but that He can point to your life as an example of His greatness. You see, God doesn't see what everybody else sees in you. People may look at you and say, well, you're a washed-up has-been, never was. You'll never amount to anything. You're no good. 
you're this, you're that, you're that. God doesn't see you that way. He sees you as somebody with incredible potential. Paul used that phrase, the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So that means that it didn't just happen by accident. He put thought into what he wants you to do. You know what? Even when we fail, when we blow it, he doesn't stop believing. He doesn't give up on your future because he's got big plans for you. He knows what you can do. He knows what you can become. But he wants you to bury the past. He he wants you to quit living in the past. He wants you to to come alive spiritually, and he wants you to accept the, the future and the plan that he has for you. But I want to ask you a tough question this morning. Have you begun to let your love begin to die for the Lord? Does it begin to kind of grow cold and stale, maybe non-existent? Your relationship with God, which used to be so great, so in love, have you just begun to forget about God? And very often when people get divorced, we're shocked. I'm like, boy, I didn't see that coming. What happened? Well, at some point in time, their life, their marriage that was so alive, full of love, they began to let that love grow cold and stale, and pretty soon it died. I read yesterday about an amazing story about a lady who had been missing since 1998 in Grove, Oklahoma. She disappeared, and it was about a month and a half before her son convinced the dad to say, hey, you need to file a missing person's report. Okay, so they did. No trace of her was found, and he came up with a story that she had ran off with somebody that she had met on the internet, except she didn't have an email account, didn't have a computer, but that was his story. Then the son said, Dad, what happened to this 55-gallon barrel that was out behind the house here? And they had a waterfront property right there on Grand Lake. I don't know what happened to it. Well, then he said she called home and said, I'm not coming back, and um, you can divorce me. And so he divorced her. But then it came out that he was having an affair. And right after he got a divorce, this lady he was having an an affair with also got a divorce, and they ended up getting remarried. And that was the end of this lady. Nobody had seen or heard from her since 1998 until this week in Grand Lake, Oklahoma, in the cove right off their house, they found a rusting 55-gallon barrel that they believe might contain some remains, and they're going to be excavating or digging that up. What happened? Well, I'd say that's a great example of somebody whose love who grew cold. Say the least, huh? Non-existent. Hopefully, your love for the Lord is not that extreme. Your love for, maybe the, uh, I didn't say that right, that, that if your love for the Lord has begun to grow cold, that it hasn't got to that point where it's dead and buried and gone, forgotten forever. 
Were you once alive with Christ? Walking with Christ just like that and now God's an afterthought. Reading your scripture, the scripture of the Bible, never do it. Prayer life, non-existent. Have you let your love for the Lord grow cold? What God wants to do in your life is to change you inside and out. And he begins right where you are today. I don't believe it was a, a, an accident that you're here today. I don't believe it was an accident that Rusty decided to use part of Ephesians chapter 2. I don't believe it was by accident that I decided to use the other part of Ephesians 2. I believe God brought you here for a reason to tell you that he loves you and he wants to do something amazing in your life. But you have to surrender yourself to him.